Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Man, I love this guy right here. Is, is Ben, I'm, I'm Pastor Bucky, it's Pastor Ben. It's awesome. We get to partner together in this crazy work called Watermark. And, you know, I get to disciple him a little bit in pastoral leadership, and he disciples me in hipster cool. I mean, is this, is he living the dream here or what? I mean, I'm just trying to live up to this, huh? So give this guy a hand. Very cool. He did a great job last week. Yeah, and he's awesome. He's awesome. He did a great job last week in the book of Ephesians. Listen to his podcast if you didn't catch that. It was an awesome message. And we're going to continue forward in this amazing book that Paul wrote in the first century to a church that he founded on a second missionary journey in the place of Ephesus, which was really a, uh, a huge city of that day. It was a port city. There was a lot of money. A lot of powerful people lived in that city with wealth. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in the area of religion. There were all kinds of temples. This is the Greco-Roman world. There was actually... One of the wonders of the world, the, the temple to the goddess Artemis was there. It was an amazing structure. And so Paul wrote this to a church that he founded, and, he, and his passion, his prayer was, was that um, this church would take whatever they experienced in their community and their fellowship, and they would bring it into their daily lives. They would bring it home. You know, Paul had this vision that, you know, I guess in that world is, you know, we don't want to be a Vegas church. Do you know what a Vegas church is? Whatever happens in, stays in Vegas, right? We don't want to be a Vegas church. We want to be a church that says whatever happens here doesn't stay here. We want it to go home. We want it to go home in your marriages. Whatever happens here, we want to go home in your marriages. We want to go home to your friendships and your relationships, we want it to go home to your neighborhood. We want it to go home into your workplace. The gospel that we preach here, we want it to go out of here and go home. The fellowship and love that we share, we want it to go out of here and go home. The worship that we give here, we want it to go home into your daily lives. The generosity, the love, we want it to all spill out so the world might see Christ in us. That is Paul's passion for this letter. That is why he writes to the church at Ephesus, and we've been praying a prayer together. I challenged you two weeks ago from Paul's house church prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, to be praying that for 30 days for our church, our relationships, and our families, and I encourage you, it's not too late to jump in. Um, If you need that reference after service, we'd be happy to give it to you. We actually put some cards together for that, but... I hope you're praying along with us because we think God's going to do amazing things. Immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. And so Paul, as he continues his argument in Ephesians chapter 4 here, as we move forward, what he's going to say is, if you want to bring the church home, you're going to have to clean out the closet. If you want to bring the church home to your house, to your relationships, to your marriage, to your parenting with your kids, 
to the people that live with you in your house, your roommates, your neighborhood, you're going to have to clean out the closet. That prayer that Paul prays, he prayed in Ephesians 3 that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that he would be at home in our hearts. He would be comfortable at the center of our lives. And so we're going to let Christ in. We're going to ask him and allow him to do a little house cleaning in our hearts. And so if you want him to come home and to dwell in your heart by faith and make a real difference in the daily relationships of your life, you're going to have to let him clean out the closet. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, we got a lot of closet clutter in the OC. A lot of closet clutter, right? You can get swallowed up in a closet and you might not ever come out like this, right? Do you know in America, what is the percentage of clothes that people wear from their closet? You think, how many people think that on a regular basis, people wear 50% of their clothes in their closet? Right there. Right there, 50%. We got some 50%. Anybody, anybody think it's higher than 50%? Right there, higher than 50%. Anybody think it's lower than 50%? All right, we got some wisdom out here. Let's go down to, to 40%. Anybody want to go for 40%? No, no, no takers at 40%? Was it 45? What about 20%? Anybody want to take 20? That's, that's actually it. We only wear 20% of the clothes in our closet. Do you know that? We got so much clutter, so much stuff. It happens to me too. Even Pastor Bucky's got way too much junk in his closet. And what that does is it creates closet confusion for me. I go in and I just don't know what to choose. Am I going to look like Hipster Ben? Am I going to try to look like professional Pastor Bucky? What am I supposed to choose today? It creates a lot of confusion when I look in the closet. And so I get consternation. I get like a cow staring at a gate. I just don't know what to do. And so it causes compromise. I go back to the same old thing. Even Kathleen this week goes, Bucky, you're not going to wear that again, are you? You wore that last week and the week before. You're wearing the same stuff over and over again. I'm, I've got closet clutter. It's causing confusion and there's compromise. I'm just putting on the old stuff. And Kathleen goes, look at this new shirt. You haven't even worn this thing yet. Because there's too much clutter. Well, Paul in Ephesians 4 is going to use this clothing analogy to talk about your life. He's going to use this closet analogy to talk about your life your purpose, your identity, and your worldview. Because Paul is going to make the argument that you have been given a new set of clothes in Christ. You have been again a, a whole new wardrobe when Jesus came into your life. He reminds them on the day that they said yes to Christ, when they said yes to Jesus. And in the ancient world, when you said yes to Jesus, you were baptized. You were put down in the water, you were brought out of the water, and many times when you, when you were baptized, you, you had a robe of white that was put on you to symbolize the fact that your old life was gone and now you were taking on a new life in Christ. You were clothed with something totally brand new. That's Paul's argument. When you heard about Christ, he preached the gospel there and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, the gospel, this is what you were taught, this is what you bought into. This is what actually happened with regard to your former way of life, that old closing closet, to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You have been given a whole set, a new set of clothes in Christ. What is he saying? You're a new person. You put on a new nature. You put on a new worldview. You see life differently now. You see it through the lens and eyes of Christ now. You put on a whole new identity. Your identity doesn't come from what you wear in the world, what you do in the world, how much you make in the world, how you perform in the world. It comes from your identity in Christ and how he loves you for who you are. You're his beloved child. So when you said yes, you put on a whole new set of clothes. And so Paul says, get rid of the closet clutter, dude. (laughs) Why are you confused every day when you get up? Do I choose lust or do I choose love? Do I choose greed or generosity? I don't know what to choose for success in the world today. Do I choose powering up or do I serve others? Get rid of the clutter. Throw the old stuff out. So every day, your mind, you renew it. Right? This word renewal is a continual thing. So the new stuff is actualized as you continue to renew your mind because you have this new mind in Christ as you open up his word, as you come and worship on Sundays, but as you daily pray and submit your life to him, as you read the scriptures and have quiet time, as you join small groups, you're renewing your mind and you're putting those new clothes on and you're throwing that old stuff off. That is the process of spiritual formation. That's the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And Paul's using this wardrobe analogy to encourage the Ephesians to continue and to not live with closet clutter. You don't have to do that. Continually renew your mind. John chapter 11, Jesus, his best friend Lazarus, if you remember, got very, very sick. And Jesus delayed coming to him. Even Martha and Mary said, Jesus, your friend's sick. And he delayed. The disciples didn't understand it. Jesus says, that's good. I'm going to go wake him up. No, he's dead. He's not dead. I'm going to wake him up. This is good that I'm doing this so you could see who I truly am. And when Jesus comes into town, there's weeping. There's a funeral. Lazarus has been buried. He's in a tomb for three days. And Jesus comes in and says, you know what? Do you believe if you believe, you're going to see your, your, your brother rise again. He's going to live again. Oh, yes, we know that at the resurrection later on, uh, when, when God raises all the people. No, no, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life right here, right now. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And if he lives and believes in me, he will never die. Lazarus, come forth. What? Roll the stone away. It's three days, he's going to stink. And old Lazarus comes out and he's got these old grave clothes on, right? And what does Jesus say? Take those off. He's not dead. He doesn't need to be wrapped in linen and burial cloth. Put his clothes on. He's living. He's alive. Guys, you have been raised from the dead with Jesus Christ. Why are you walking around with grave clothes on every day? When he's given you the grace clothes of his resurrection life. You don't have to live with closet clutter anymore. God wants to do immeasurably more. He wants to do a relational makeover in your very life. That's that Ephesians 
three prayer that we're praying. At the end of it, Paul says, I'm praying because God is able to do more than you can even ask or imagine in your marriage. He wants to take your marriage to a place it's never been before, in your relationships with your children, in your relationships with your fathers and the mothers, in relationship in the community right here. God wants to allow us to grasp how high and wide and deep and long the love of Christ is and bring it right into our daily lives. He wants reconciliation. He wants healing of family of origin wounds. He wants freedom and identity in Christ. Uh, he, he wants purpose in him. He wants love in him. He wants grace. He wants to bring that right home into your daily life. And what does that look like? See, his goal is to raise you up so you look like Jesus. His goal is that everybody in this room, in their workplace, in their neighborhood, in their houses, when people look at the relationships in our family or our marriages and our friendships, they would see Jesus in us. That's his goal. And that's what it says in Ephesians 4. Here's the goal of God's working and putting a new wardrobe in your life, that you would begin to speak the truth in love and grow up to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That you would grow up to the fullness of Christ in your relational life. That's his goal for you. And so how do we do that? What does it look like? It looks like love and truth. See, when we put on the wardrobe of Christ, when we put on this new garb of grace, what it looks like in our marriages is love and truth. Truthful and loving relationships. What it looks like in our parenting, it's love and truth. What it looks like in the workplace as we work with integrity and honor, it looks like love and truth. It doesn't just look like truth without love. We got a lot of truth without love. I mean, have you seen uh, the the polit- political? You know, every day it's just a lot of a lot of just man, brutal, bludgeoning truth to try to destroy a party or a platform on both sides. It doesn't look attractive at all. It's it's a lot of truth. There's not a lot of love there, right? People are trying to destroy people and take people out for power and a platform. That doesn't it doesn't look like love and truth. And you know, there's a lot of love out there too, right? I love you, man. Here, take another hit off of this. I love you, man. Here, take another drink off of this. I love you, man. We love each other, but we share an addiction. An addiction without truth is not love. Dude, I love you, man, but that's going to kill you if you take that. Dude, I love you too much to participate in that addictive process with you. I want to help you out of that. There's a lot of love out there, a lot of party and a lot of fun. It's so great, man. We get to do whatever we want to do. And yet it leaves us with addiction and brokenness. We don't need truth without love. We don't need love without truth. We need both of them come together in Christ. That will provide new relational life for our families, for our world, for our workplaces. If love and truth is the purpose, the fullness of Christ. And as we do that together... As we work this out, right, we help each other. See, community is the place. Like you're saying, how do I learn to do this? How do I learn to throw off the old and put on the new? You learn in community. You learn here in the church. The church is just not a place where you come to hear a sermon. 
The church is the place where you learn how to put off the old and put on the new. Whenever Kathleen and I are going out to a function, like recently we went to a 50-year birthday party, what are you going to wear? I don't know, what are you going to wear? What do you think? So Kathleen goes in her closet and she brings out three outfits. She goes, I'm going to try them on and you tell me which one's right. So she tries it on. Whatever. I like that one. How about that? Oh, yeah, that, that's the right one. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like this. It fits perfect. Yes, okay. What do you want me to wear, Kathleen? Well, maybe this, that. Uh, oh, that looks good. That looks good, Bucky. But you know what? You missed that belt loop that you always miss back here. I always miss the same belt loop out here. And she always has to spot it. I can't see it. So we get dressed up in community because if we don't get dressed up in community, we don't even know what we look like out there. We don't. If I didn't have Kathleen, boy, you think you'd be like, this would be a comedy store up here. I'm colorblind. I have no idea for fashion. I need my wife to speak into my life. She needs me to speak into her life. And that's how we dress up into Christ. We need community. Do you guys have a group of people in your life that's willing to be truthful and loving and speak into the issues of your life? Hey, you know what? That doesn't look like Truth, that looks like enablement in your parenting. That doesn't look like truth. It looks like you're just glossing it over to be a people pleaser. Are you sure? Where's the truth and the honesty in that? Hey, that doesn't look like grace or love. That's pretty harsh, man. The way you talk to your wife at the dinner the other night, man, that, that's really tough. Is there, could you have put that a different way for her to hear that? Because if all you do is hit her and you don't love her, is, is that going to accomplish good in your life? You see, we need each other to sharpen each other to help get clothed in the new wardrobe of Christ. To live that out. That's what That's why a small group is so powerful. We have them all over the place. If you need one and you don't have one, you cannot live the Christian life without community, without friends that can help you put on Christ in your daily life. We need that feedback. And when we do that, we begin to throw off. We begin to displace the old stuff. We see it for what it truly is. It's rags. It's grave clothes. It produces death in my marriage when I don't come in the fullness of Christ. It produces fear into my kids when I come home with worldly garb on and I want to play the power control game, right? It produces death in my friendships when I'm so full of pride and anger and there's not love involved. See, when we get in the community, we begin to dress, we see the old garb, and it's like, man, I'm going to clean that stuff out. I want the newness of Christ in my life. Because the world, you know, whoo, look at that, man, that was a power. The world is going to offer you its clothing every day. The world offers it to you in spades. Money, power, sex, man. It's saying, you put on this wardrobe, and you're going to have life. You put on the, the, the money suit, You put on the deal, and you make a lot of money, man, you dress with money, and man, people are going to accept you and love you, and you got your identity. You've got it all going on, right? You put on on power, and you can walk into the room, and people are going to move out of the way. They're going to roll down the red carpet for you. You got power, 
You got a name, you got a title, you're getting it done. You're a man of control or a woman of control. People are going to roll out the red carpet and man, you're just going to go right by. You put on sex, you got sex appeal, you dress like this and all the boys in high school are going to like you. You dress like this and all the men are going to turn their heads. You got sex appeal, you got attraction. You're looking good with the six-pack body and everybody's going to think you are the one. The world is lying to you every day. Put on these old corrupt clothes that are full of lies and you can find life. And yet, what we experience and we know, all that does is produce slavery, addiction, emptiness, and unfulfillment. We see it all the time of the crashing and burning of stars and famous and politicians and even people in religious business like me trying to make it all happen on their own. They crash and burn because they're building their life on an external thing that will never fulfill them. They're building their life on an idol. These are the American idols that are thrown. This is the wardrobe and the image that the world wants you to put on. Money, power, and sex, and you're going to have it all going on. And Paul's going to take this theme and go, guys, do you realize that you're worshiping a false god when you say, that's what my life is going to be about? When I want to put on the wardrobe of power, you're worshiping a false god, an idol that will never lead you to true intimacy in your home? If money is your idol, you will not have true intimacy in your home with your children and your family. If power is your idol, you will not get true intimacy and the love of Christ in your home. If sex is your idol, you will not have that in your home. And Paul is saying, throw that stuff out. That stuff will never bring you life. It will only bring you slavery. That's not freedom. The world tells you this is freedom. This is the American dream, individual freedom through money, power, and sex. And all it does is produce slavery and brokenness and shame and guilt. And Paul says, you got a new set of clothes, throw that old stuff out and put the new stuff on. And so he goes forward. In the area of money, he says, throw off the greed. Throw off the greed You know, I got to have more, I need more, I'm going to control more and have more. And then, man, people are going to look at me and think that I got it going on. Paul says, therefore, because of what I just said, because you have a new wardrobe, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are members of one body. This is not a building of people. This is not a community of chair setters. This is an organic body of Christ. Every one of you has been fitted into this place for a purpose. So don't lie to your neighbor in this room. Don't pretend you're something that you're not. Don't come here with the idea I'm going to consume and steal from these people my religious respect and all my good stuff, but I'm not going to contribute to this body. That's not a church. That is not a church. A church is not a place to come and sit and consume religious service. A church is a place where people get connected to an organic living body and they need you. The church needs every one of you as much as it needs me, the talking head. We need each other. And Paul says anyone who's been stealing, stealing from the community, right? They had people stealing in the community, but they had people stealing in the church too. They were ripping each other off. They were not not being integrous even in the church they were taking money and not working right they were free loafing on the church 
And it says, any one of you who's stealing must steal no longer, but you must work doing something useful with your hands that they may have something to share with everyone, right? What is Paul saying? How many relationships are destroyed by greed? How many marriages go down in Orange County because of the love of money, right? How many, how many workplaces are just destroyed because somebody lacks integrity and they steal from their coworkers and their friends and the company goes down, right? How many children are destroyed by moms and dads that care more about money than they do about being present and available to teach their kids about life? Paul says that, that's, that's not what you want to be in Christ. You have this new set of clothes God has given you. He's generously given you a lot of time here, a lot of talent, and a lot of treasure. Every one of you has time, talent, and treasure more than enough. And Paul says, don't think of that just about yourself with greedy ambition. Instead, use those things, right, to serve others and be a part of making the body healthy. Work is a gift. God has given you work to do out there. He's given you work in your family. He's given you work in the church as well. This church needs your talents, your time, and your treasure if the mission that God has given you is going to go forward. And so we all need to be in the game. And thank you so much for those of you who volunteer regularly in our church. That's no small thing. That is countercultural. Most of Orange County is running after their own stuff right now. Greed. What's on the TV? What can I do with my day? It's all about me. I've worked hard, so I get my own rest. I'm going to do whatever I want to. That's most of Orange County. Probably about 10%, 12% Orange County even goes into a church. And so you are super normal by coming here and being a part of this fellowship and serving here with your gifts and giving generously. In December, you guys gave tremendously generously. Thank you so much. But that's the way that we put the old off and put the new on, by serving and loving and being generous with one another. And Paul says, God has gifted us so we can love truth and love. We can love and serve one another because we're members of the same body. Put off greed, put on generosity on a regular basis. Is this your one? Is this the clothing confusion that you have? Would the Holy Spirit put this on your life? Yeah. Greed, greed's the issue. You know, greed's something I want to speak to you about today. Greed's something I want to help you work to be able to put off the old and put on the new in your life. Is that what God would be talking to you about in terms of the clothing that he wants to put on through Jesus Christ? What about power? Power, man. This world is about power. It's about control. It's about strength of your words. Man, if you can, if you can take somebody out with your platform and your proclamation, man, you're the man. If you can proclaim something and make it happen, man, you're the man. Paul is saying, you know what? A lot of that has to do with anger in our lives. How much of our families and marriages are destroyed by destructive anger? Our relationships, by the things that we say. You see, God has gifted you with a mouth, and he wants you to use that mouth to be a part of his image bearing in the world, being like Christ. So your mouth was given to build up and to bless and to honor, and not to tear down and destroy. And when destructive anger gets at the center of our life because we feel like we're 
in control and we need to be God and we need to get it done on our own. And when that doesn't happen, that anger flares up and we can destroy people's lives with a couple of words. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't sit in your anger. It's going to fester and it's going to give an opportunity for the devil to lie to you and have a foothold and direct your life towards destruction. Read the life of Cain who killed his brother because of destructive anger. It is something that can really destroy lives. Do not let any any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. How often do we weaponize our words and use them to win an argument, destroy a person's identity, slander their character, just so we can come out on top? How many times in my marriage has that happened to me when I've tried to justify out of fear or anger who I am and what I did, and I just run right through my wife's life and tear her down and hurt her? Our words are so powerful. And Paul says, God has given you those words to build up, to encourage, to give life. And Paul says, how can we do that? Because it's already been done for us. Right? Jesus did the very thing for us that he's asking us to give to others. Right? Jesus came and he gave us compassion. He walked in our shoes. Jesus came and he spoke to us with kindness. Whenever the Holy Spirit speaks to me, you know, he doesn't yell at me. It's usually a gentle whisper from a loving father. Bucky, I love you. Bucky, you're my beloved son. Bucky, why, why did you do that? Here, here's the opportunity. You know, the, the voice of condemnation, that, that's not God's voice. That's, that's the voice of this internal self-righteous Pharisee in my life. Brendan Manning, the great spiritual director, calls it the internal Pharisee. And those words of condemnation and judgment, that's not from your father. That's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is gentle and loving and is coming alongside. Yes, he convicts, but he doesn't yell and shout you down. That's the voice of your earthly father. That's the voice of an origin family of origin wound. God wants to heal that and he wants to speak those tender words into your life because what happens, then you become tender with others. Even when they hurt you. And then you, you start to listen more than you start to talk two ears and you put yourself in another person's shoes. Are you willing to listen to their story and what happened before you go and judge them? That's what Paul's saying. As Christ treated you with tenderness and compassion, he walked in your shoes and he died for you on the cross to forgive you in the same way. Take that into your life and put it on and give that to others. Give that to others. Put off destructive anger. Put on acceptance and the love and the forgiveness of Christ. And finally, he talks about sex. Put off lust and put on sacrificial love. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, right? Walk in the way of love. You are God's beloved ones. He chose you. He redeemed you. You are holy and blameless. Walk in that same way. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must be no even a hint of sexual immorality. At the temple in Ephesus there were sexual prostitutes. And part of the worship was to go to have 
sex in the temple for this godness to give fertility and blessing in life. There was all kinds of sexual stuff going on in Ephesus. And Paul is saying, you know, sex is not for idolatry, it's for intimacy. Again, there's that word, idolatry versus intimacy. Paul says, you must therefore not even have an int of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater. Right? When you make sex your God, you're, you're making it an idol in your life. Right? Sex is a gift to be enjoyed between a man and a woman for life in a covenant relationship of sacrificial love. That's human sexuality. When we take God's good gifts and we make them ultimate things, when we make them God, they become idols that enslave us. Money's not bad. When we make it our God, it enslaves us. It becomes the ultimate and it enslaves us because it's not God. Sex is not God. When we make it the ultimate, it enslaves us because it's not God. Power is not God. It's a gift of God. We're supposed to use our power to serve others. When we use it and make it about ourselves and control and manipulate others, it becomes an enslaving power in our lives. And Paul says, throw off that idolatry. Stop worshiping the wrong things and come to the true God who's given you a whole new set of clothes in Christ. No immoral, impure person such as an idolatry has any inheritance. Those old clothes are not going to be in heaven with you. The old clothes of idolatry are not going to heaven with you. Old clothes of that stuff, those are gone. What comes with you is God's love and your inheritance in Christ. Paul's talked about that. We have that in the heavenly realms. Let's put that on because idolatry has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. The world is deceiving you guys. The world is telling you that church is bad, religion is bad because it tells you to keep sex in a marriage between a man and a woman. And you know what? The world is deceiving you. Have you looked at the the scientific research behind pornography and addiction to pornography and what it does to young men's brains? The destruction, the brain chemistry. Oh my gosh, stay away, man. It's not worth it. You see how many marriages are destroyed by extramarital affairs and all the stuff that we're doing with sex? It is out of control. Don't let the world deceive you with its lies that sex, sexual freedom is what it's all about. It's enslaving. Serve God in that way and it'll bring you life. Because in my marriage, sexuality is this treasure that builds intimacy and it affirms my covenant love. If you have sex without covenant love, you're just using a body, using a person and destroying love. God has given you this beautiful gift. So Paul says, throw off that old stuff and... Be partners in Christ, not partners in idolatry. That's your formal way of life. Now you're in this new body. True freedom comes from the committed path of sacrificial love. As the band comes up today, I just want to talk to you about the path here today that we're talking about. What are we talking about, Bucky? What does it practically mean to bring this heavenly garb home in my daily life? To put on Christ What does it mean? How do I do this with my family? Well, it starts with confession. It starts with just being honest and not living in denial and thinking that doing the the same thing over and over again with money or power or sex is going to bring you life. You just got to own it and say, you know what? I'm blowing it. I'm addicted. I'm out of control here. And Lord, I, I want you to help me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you for you to clothe me. 
And you know, it's interesting in the scripture, whenever God asks us to go this way, he asks us to go this way. James says, if we confess our sins one to another, the Lord will heal us. You see, community is a place where we can go, you know what, I want to get real. This is not working in my life. It's addicting me, it's slaving me, it's blowing everything out of proportion. I just want to confess it and own that. So confession to your wife, confession to your kids about your anger. What is it, what is it you need to own so you can begin the path of freedom in Christ? Forgiveness. God has forgiven you. There's no shame or guilt here. This sermon is not about shame or guilt. This sermon is about freedom and love and what your Father wants from you. As we take communion today, you come to this table, we confess that, gosh, that old stuff... That's, that's, that's not what I want in my life. I want the new stuff that you died to give me through your body and blood. Thank you for your forgiveness, the clothing of your grace and love, forgiveness. God gives it to you, we give it to each other. Do you need to forgive someone because you got so much bitterness and anger and it's eating you alive? Maybe this morning is about forgiving someone else. Claim your new clothes. Daily renew your mind and this is who I am in Christ. This is how my Father sees me as this beloved Holy One. Oh, thank you, Lord. I accept my identity in you. Do you spend time thanking God for the clothes he's given you and the new identity you have in Christ? Own that. Take that. Put that on and follow Christ together. See, Christianity was never meant to be an individual journey, just you alone. It's about community. Maybe today is a step where you go, I I need a group. I need to get in community. I need to become an authentic member of this church. Right? And we want to invite you. I mean, if you're here as a guest, this is, you know, enjoy. But at some point, it's time to step in. And maybe that's what God's calling you to do today. But whatever it is, this morning we want to celebrate that God has clothed us anew in Jesus Christ. My daughter... When she was in high school, she loaned her car to a friend at a party and the friend wrecked the car. And so it was a bummer of a night for her. She learned a, a, a real big lesson there. And we had a huge talk, went to bed. She realized before she went to bed, oh my gosh, my jersey. She started at Corona Lamar High School. She was an outside hitter. This team, was, this team eventually went on to win the championship. But her jersey was in her car, and so when they went and they towed it away to the, to the shop that was going to repair it. You know, the guy towed it away. The jersey's in the car, and she has a game tomorrow against the best team. If she didn't have a jersey, she didn't get to play. If I don't have my garb, I can't play. And so all of a sudden, throughout the night, man, I'm just going, oh, my daughter, this is so challenging for her. And I got this crazy idea about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. You know it was crazy. It was reckless, but it was all about love. So I got out of my bed, I jumped in my car, and I drove to that place where that car, and you know, you know, there's this 15-foot fence, there's all these cars in there, and there's my daughter's car, and I go, okay, it's four o'clock, hopefully there's no cops here. I'm in the ministry, but here I go, reckless, crazy, I climb over that 14-foot fence, I rip my shirt, I come down on the other side, I start walking to her car, and then I think, dogs, I didn't think about the dogs, oh my gosh, dogs, I start running, I jump on the car, because I know the dogs are coming, but the dogs don't come. It was reckless. It was crazy. Climbing up a fence, going down into a valley, getting in that car, getting that jersey, and coming home. And when my daughter woke up, she opened up her closet and said, what's in your closet? There's my jersey. Do you know the reckless love of your father? Overwhelming, everlasting, reckless. Climbs any mountains, 
blows away any fence to get his love to you, to clothe you with his own body and blood. That's what we celebrate. Let's live in that freedom. Let's put that on and celebrate it and go show the world the love of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your love. You ran to us when we were naked and ragged, when we were broken, destitute, and you clothed us with a robe of righteousness. You killed the fatted calf. It was your own son. And you said, let's celebrate because my son is lost. Now he is found. Thank you, Jesus, for your body and blood. We celebrate that. Clothe us anew. Help us to live out of the freedom of your life. We celebrate you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.